want you to look to your left, and I want you to look to your right. We have quite a bit of space in this room, don't we? There's a lot of pew space next to you. There's a whole row right behind Terry Bowden. And one thing that I've learned over the years is that when it's Christmas time, for some reason, this season, this time of year, always seems to have an effect on people, even unbelievers in the world. And I want you to take an opportunity for something. Every year, when we're in the midst of buying all the presents and going to all the Christmas get-togethers and Christmas plays and being so busy doing things and buying gifts and getting ready and decorating and all that, one of the things that, that seems to happen is that this is the one time of year, for some people, this is the one time of year where their heart seems to soften just a moment, where they turn their attention on to things that are more important, where they begin to think about maybe even Christ the Lord. And sometimes it's around this time that a door opens in the lives of some people's hearts. So here's what I want you to do. As you're thinking about all the things that you're going to be shopping for as you're making your list, don't forget the greatest gift that you have in your possession is the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And the greatest gift that you can give somebody is the gift of inviting somebody to church. And so what I want you to do is consider the empty spaces that you see around you as presents that you can take to someone this week and say, hey, listen, have you considered Christ? Would you like to come to church with me? And see, maybe that this is a season, this is an open door for some people, and maybe they will come, and maybe they too will be able to sing the song, His Grace Still Amazes Me. Wouldn't you like to see that in the lives of some of your family and friends? Do that this week. Do that this week. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to be wrapping up a little tiny little sermon series that, that I came up with a few weeks ago called Bodybuilding. And it's all about just, just asking some questions and throwing out some encouragements to us as a congregation and saying, what are some things, what are some practical things that we can do to help build up the body of Christ? And over the last few weeks, what I envision with this little series is just to, just to offer us a few challenges just to kind of get our minds thinking, especially as we get ready to wrap up this year, as we open up the horizon to the next year, what are some things that we can do to be mindful of? What are some things that we can be intentional about, if you will, to help build up the body of Christ? And, and, and we, we had some building blocks. We had some, some foundational things, if you will, that we said that were very important. And we started this series and we said, you know, the first thing that we've got to do to build up the body of Christ is that we've got to take the time to build up the body of Christ. We need to decide that our time is not our time, that it's actually God's time. And then we encouraged you to, to labor with us by becoming a servant here at the Eastside Church of Christ, to invest in the lives of other people. And we said that we need to have uninhibited worship, which is one of the beautiful things that we have here at the Eastside Church of Christ. We want to be a place where the Holy Spirit has free reign to do whatever the Holy Spirit wants to do, both individually and as a congregation. And then we challenge every single person with the top block over here to be a part of this church. Find your place here. Don't just show up on Sunday mornings and shake a hand or two. Realize that God has given you a special gift, a special talent, a unique ability to fulfill His kingdom right here at the Eastside Church of Christ. And then if you remember, we also, over the last couple Sundays, we talked about what it means to be one. 
We said as a church, we don't need to hold grudges. We don't need to, um, uh, uh, you know, we, we need to make sure that we forgive other people. We don't need to argue about rightness, but we need to care more about living righteously. If you remember, we, we turned our attention over to the book of Romans when Paul was writing to the church at Rome. And, and he said that, uh, that they need to be of one mind, one purpose, and one spirit. And then if you remember last Sunday, we built upon that again with some more building blocks, if you will. And we said that if we want to build up the body of Christ, then we have to be willing to get real with each other. We got to be willing to take off the mask, even if we might be fearful of those things, because God has called us to live together in transparency. No pretense whatsoever, just real and raw with each other, because we are all sinners in the same boat seeking to be made well by the great physician, every single one of us. We said that we need to be receptive to correction, that we need to be eager for connection, and that we always need to be willing to make an authentic confession. This morning, I've got one more encouragement that I want to make in this little series. Next Sunday, we're going to turn our attention over to the Christmas season. We're going to talk about Christ and His coming. And then the following Sunday, I have something very special to tell you if you haven't already heard about it. The following Sunday, not next Sunday, but the following Sunday, we're not going to be having our regularly scheduled worship service on Sunday morning. We're going to have Eastside's very first candlelight service on Christmas Eve at 6 p.m. You can clap if you want to. Give the Lord a hand if you want to. That's his deal. But we want to make sure you invite all of your family and friends to that. Amen. I can tell you right now, I have a little glimpse of what's coming that night. It is going to be super special. So please make sure you invite your family and friends. Now, for this morning, I have one final suggestion about building up the body of Christ here. And, and I want to suggest to you that if we want to build up the body of Christ here at the Eastside Church of Christ, then one of the most important things that we need to have is what I like to call a record-breaking love. Record-breaking love. Now, if you think about Jesus Christ, if you think about how much you know about this man that, that you and I worship, that you and I follow as disciples in the New Testament, when you look at the New Testament, Jesus was very radical. Now, we don't tend to associate the word radical with Jesus, do you? You know, oftentimes with popular depictions of Jesus in some movies or, or just in some theological circles, you get this idea, some people have this, this image in their mind that Jesus was this, this little meek and lowly, uh, quiet, timid man who just kind of was, you know, in the corner, you know, just being holy and, and, and just kind of unapproachable. Listen, if you spend any time in the Gospels, you know that that is not the picture that you have in the, in the Gospels of Jesus Christ. Because when you look at the picture of Jesus Christ, you realize that he was actually extremely radical. This man would go into villages and he would turn the religious world completely upside down. He touched people that he was never supposed to touch. Remember the leper? He spoke to people that you were never supposed to talk to. Remember the Samaritan woman at the well? He, he, he talked to people that you were never supposed to talk to. He spent time with people that you were never supposed to associate with. Remember the tax collectors and the sinners? He ate with people that you weren't supposed to eat with. And he purposely, time and time again, would upset the religious order of the day. And he would do stuff that would literally make religious people completely upset. Remember how he would heal people on the Sabbath day? 
this morning, I want to realize, and not realize, but I want to uh, offer to you that the reason why Jesus was the way he was, the reason why he was so radical was because of the kind of radical love that he had for the people that God wanted to call to himself. And I want to suggest to you that you and I need to emulate the same kind of love, not only for each other, but also for the family and friends that you're going to be talking to this week because as up here, you realize us preachers, we can see everything that's going on out there. That makes a couple of you nervous, doesn't it? But when I talked about uh, inviting your family and your friends, I saw at least 75% of you do this. Guess what? You weren't doing that at me. You were doing that at the Father. So you agreed to do this. And so this week when you go out there, I want to suggest to you, I want to give you a model, if you will, of the kind of radical love that Jesus Christ is calling every single one of us to have this morning to use not only here with each other, but also this morning when we go out into our community. This morning, if you will, turn with me to the book of Luke chapter 7. I want to give you one example of this radical love that we're talking about from the life of Christ. Now, just to set this up a little bit, a Pharisee has invited Jesus to his home to have dinner with him. Now, you can imagine why this has happened. Now, some of the Pharisees, they were open, right? They were open to Jesus, like Nicodemus. He was open to Jesus. You're going to get a sense here in a moment that, that this is one of those pretenses, if you will. This is a mask-wearing individual, if you will. He's invited Jesus to his house. My guess is because he's trying to figure out more who this Jesus is, who's this Christ, this radical person who seems to be upsetting everybody, and especially the religious world of his day. He really wants to get an eye of who this man is. So that's the background, if you will, before we get into this text. Read with me, beginning at verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, and so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet, Thank you. Verse 38. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who was touching him and what kind of woman she is for that she is a sinner. I'm going to stop that right there for just a moment. In other words, he's saying, if this man was really a prophet, if God actually spoke to this person, then you would know, he would know what kind of life that she lived. Now, just to give you an idea, when it talks about that this woman was known in town as a sinner, what do you infer that it's probably talking about? Anyone? She's a prostitute, right? She's well known. She's seen all the time. And I guarantee you, the religious leaders, including this Pharisee right here, had disdain for that woman. And every single day when he would walk by whatever corner she was selling her wares at, he would look over there and go, that nasty woman, that nasty sinner. So let me give you a kind of a colloquial version of what this Pharisee just said to her. And imagine, this, is, this man is saying these words right in front of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, if this man were really a prophet, you would know what kind of dirt this woman really is. Wow. 
Verse 40. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii. Now, just to kind of give you an idea of what that amount is, 500 denarii would be like you working at your job to collect your wages for an entire year and a half. That's a lot of money. So that's the idea here. This person owed that much. So just get that, 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 that picture in your mind. And the other person owed 50. That's about two months' worth of wages. Verse 42. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, and so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt that was forgiven. Jesus said, you've judged correctly. And Jesus said this. Listen very carefully to what he says. And he turned toward the woman and he said to Simon, now I love what's happening here. I want you to get the picture in your mind. I want you to see the scene that's happening here right before your eyes. He turns to the woman, but he's speaking to Simon. Are you with me? He turns to the woman and he's speaking to Simon. He says, Simon, do you see this woman? Now, at first glance, you might think, okay, that's kind of an obvious question, right? Obviously, you see the woman. This is a very strange sight. He's standing here. This woman is behind him. She's grasping his ankles. She's sobbing as much as she can possibly sob. Tears are running down her face. She's taking her hair because she doesn't want his feet to get wet. And so she's literally looking. She's got nothing. And so she takes her hair and she's wiping her feet. This is a spectacle. And let me tell you something, this is embarrassing. That's something you would never do. Not only that, you would even step foot as a prostitute into the house of a Pharisee. You would not even try to do this. You wouldn't even touch a rabbi without his permission. My goodness, this is a woman in the first century. A woman would never even dare do this. She's breaking all kinds of boundaries doing this. So yeah, Simon Caesar. But if you think about it, that's not what he was asking. He says, Simon, do you see her? No, I know you see her. But do you really see her? Listen to what he says in verse 44. I came into your house. You didn't give me any water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, but this woman from the time that I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Now, therefore, I tell you, her many sins are forgiven as her great love has shown. Listen to this. Boy, this is a stinging rebuke. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. See, Jesus had a love for people that broke all the rules. And you think about the way that we're taught to love today. And I want to see if the way that you and I have been taught by the world today on how to love other people, how to judge other people, how to measure other people. I want us to test this morning whether the love that we've been taught by the world lines up with the kind of radical love that's taught by Christ. Three things this morning. Simply this. 
a record-breaking love. When you have a love that breaks all the rules, one of the first things that we can deduce from this story is that it accepts people where they are. It accepts people where they are. Let me ask you a question this morning. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to accept people where they are, to love them, to show them the way of Christ exactly where they are? Don't care what the circumstances are. Don't care what they're involved in. Don't care what they're doing. But when their heart turns open to the love of Christ, are you willing to take them right where they're at? Because I want to tell you something this morning. It seems for a lot of people, they don't have a record-breaking kind of love. You know what I see a lot of times? I see a record-keeping kind of love. You say, Tim, what are you talking about? Well, some of us are really good record keepers. I mean, we love to keep records when it comes to people that we interact with. It's almost like we've got this mental filing cabinet in our minds. And when someone comes in and we look over and we say, Liz, you know, I, that Liz person, God bless her, I love her, I'm a Christian, and I'm going to do what's best for you. But let me tell you something. When it comes to Liz, here it comes. I'm going to reach in. I'm going to pull out this file from that filing cabinet. And here, it, yep, there it is. Two years ago, I was with Liz, and, and I looked over and smiled at her, and she didn't smile back, and that offended me. I'm kidding. I wasn't here two years ago. See, that didn't really happen. I love Liz. She's a good lady. But there it is. She didn't, she didn't do this. She didn't say this the right way. She looked at me sideways, and that really offended me. That made me irritated. Or I saw something that I didn't like, and I didn't think she should be doing this. And so now I've formed a judgment. I have formed an opinion. And I may act a certain way with her at church, but because I have placed a file in my mental filing cabinet, I will treat her a certain way. I will form the way I love her in a certain way because I've made a judgment and I don't have a record-keeping, I have a record-breaking kind of love. I've got a record-keeping kind of love. And then we throw that in the filing cabinet and we file these things away and we keep that to what degree... Or how we love other people. I don't know about you. That's not the kind of love I read about in the Bible. Paul, when he talked about love, that very famous passage that's read at almost every single wedding I've ever performed is 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Let me tell you what love is like. This is real love right here. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. Did you hear that one? It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. And it keeps, look at this, no record of wrongs. So a question I have for you is just a simple question I'm going to ask you and me is, do you keep records? Are you a record keeper? If someone says something you don't like, do you chalk it up in your mind and you always remember it from that point forward? Do you grow bitter? Do you grow angry? Do you grow resentful? And no matter what, even if that person has apologized to you, you still form that opinion of that person and you still treat that person the same way, even if that person has repented. I've known many people like that. I've known many people who wear the name of Christ who act like that. Let me tell you something as a church. You want to stop growing? You want to quench the Holy Spirit and stifle the work that God wants to do at the Eastside Church of Christ? Then I will tell you how to do it. Be a record keeper. Be the kind of person that when someone comes in, you go, you know what, I love that person, but I just can't get over the fact that that person did such and such. 
Keep on doing it and watch what happens. God will not bless that in your life. Because that's not his kind of love. That's the world's kind of love. That's fleshly kind of love. You and I, church, we've been called to something higher than that. We've been called to something higher than that. So let me ask you this. Are you willing to give up the filing cabinet this morning? Are you willing to give up the box that you like to put people in your life because they don't act the way you think they should act? You know, one of the things I've seen time and time again when it comes to Christians and how we relate with each other, we have a measuring stick that we measure ourselves with, right? And then we think because we are where we are, then that person should be where I am. Or because my life experiences has shaped the way I see things and the kind of decisions I make or the ways that I do things. And then we use that measuring tape and we say, that's God's way. And if you're not lined up, then you're not God's way. And so I judge them. That's not the way it's supposed to be. Are you willing to get rid of the filing cabinet this morning? Are you willing to throw away the box that you put people in? Are you willing to take the measuring tape and slide it back in and throw it away and say, God, by the same grace you gave me, I'm going to give them to. Because you love me and you gave me space to make mistakes. Just as Jesus did when this woman came to him. If you notice, Jesus didn't say, now hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on now. Don't touch me. We got some things we got to talk about first. You got to get yourself cleaned up a little bit. I can't be seen with somebody like that now. Do we have that kind of love? No. <laughs> Listen, Jesus, remember what he did when he called Matthew? See, Matthew was one of those unique characters in all the Bible because everybody hated Matthew. The Gentiles hated Matthew. The Jews hated Matthew. He was like literally the lowest of the low. I think this guy would have probably picked a prostitute over a tax collector. And when he called Matthew, you remember what he did? What was Matthew used to? Matthew was used to having interactions with people literally every day, all day. Here's my money. Boom, throw it on the table, walk out. That's what he was used to. But that's not what Jesus did. Jesus walks up to Matthew. He has love on his face. He says, come and follow me. You know why? Because Jesus had a radical kind of love. Jesus had the kind of love that saw beyond who he was at that moment. Jesus had the kind of love that could see not with human eyes, but with God's eyes and realize the potential that lied in that person. And maybe all that person needs is just to have the love of God shown to them so that they can see the light and see the way. And that's what happened. The rest is history. Matthew said, I, I'll go with you. Let me tell you a little story. Good buddy of mine. Long time ago, it's a minister friend of mine in Nashville. He talked about a time he was teaching at a church. One Sunday morning, as everybody was getting in their seats, and you know how that, you know, before everybody starts, everybody's kind of congregating and talking and whatnot, fellowshipping a little bit. In comes a stranger, somebody they'd never, ever seen before. Now, this individual was a man, but he was wearing a skirt and a blouse, and makeup. And he came in, and he sat down, and he said, I could see a hush just come over the whole church. And then all of a sudden, you could hear this grumble start to come over the whole congregation. 
People were looking. People were pointing. People's faces were squinching up like this. People were getting angry. And he said, before I knew it, I had about seven or eight people that had come to me over here. And he was, then they were saying, we've got to do something about this. Now, this is ridiculous. Can you believe this? Can you believe this guy over here? Can you believe how sick this is? We've got to do something. We can't have this here like this. We've got to figure out some way to quietly get this person out of this church. Literally, the church was saying this. You know what he said? I love this. He didn't get as mad as I did. <laughs> he said, listen, I've got one question I want to ask every single one of you that are standing here right now. He said, when you saw that man come in, did you pray for him? Did you pray for him? No. Because the automatic knee-jerk reaction response was, that person is sick. And that person is not where I am. And so I'm going to use my measuring tape and measure me and measure him. And uh. Listen. There was a reason why that man was in that church. And if we don't have a place where we can go and be real. And realize that we need the love of the Father just like everybody else. Then where else can that man go? Answer that. If we don't have the same kind of radical love that Jesus Christ had, where else can that man go to find the solution for his problems? You see, often our problem is that we refuse to accept people exactly where they are. And to me, this makes no sense because let me ask you a question, oh man, isn't that where God found you? Jesus took you right where you were. So why can't you take someone else exactly where they are? It may not be where you were when he found you, but guess what? Today's the day of salvation. It's going to be where he found him. A church that is building, a church that is growing, a church that is intentionally seeking to build up the body of Christ is going to be a church that's made up of imperfect people. You said, well, church is supposed to be like a hospital. Yes, it is, but it's not going to stop there. You know why? Because the church is like a hospital. We come here so we can meet the great physician. And the great physician is the one who makes us well. But when we're in the hospital together, we don't look at a patient who's doing worse than we are at the moment and say, oh my gosh, get out of this hospital. No, we do everything we can to introduce him to the doctor. Amen? Amen. 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 Now, just like Jesus, <laughs> we're not willing to leave you there. We're not willing to leave you where you are. We'll show you the path of life. We're going to give you by example how to be transformed. We're going to show you Jesus who will do the transformation and help you continue on your journey of transformation. That's the calling of Jesus Christ. And that leads me to the second part of this record-breaking love that we're going to talk about this morning. Is That is, when you have a record-breaking love, number two, it's a place that allows people to make mistakes. You realize grace allows you to make mistakes, right? I mean, that's what grace is. I always say it like this. Grace is the space that God gives you to learn how to be transformed into, Jesus, or into, the, into the life of Jesus Christ. When Jesus hand-selected his 12 disciples, you could have put together a more ragtag group of guys. Talk about imperfect. I mean, logic would have said, if you're going to start a religious movement, if you're going to take the greatest message that's ever been known to man, the gospel of salvation, and you're going to take it to the world, if I were doing it, I would have done it completely different. 
I would have went out there and I would have found the guys who had the degrees, the guys who had the education, the guys who had the money, the guys who had the networking, the people that were the influencers, the ones who would have been able to take that message out far and wide. Isn't that the way that we tend to think today? But not Jesus. Jesus doesn't do that. He picks fishermen. He picks poor people. He picks the uneducated, the spiritually destitute, the morally questionable, the politically radical. And he says, come and follow me. Let me ask you a question. Do you think Jesus knew getting into it that these guys were going to make mistakes? Sure he did. He took that into account when he called them. He knew that Peter was going to make all kinds of mistakes way before he fell in that water, way before he cussed and lied and said to that girl, I don't know you those three times. He knew all those things were going to happen. But what did Jesus do? He loved him through his mistakes, and that eventually led to him becoming transformed as a person and becoming one of the greatest church leaders in the first century. So let me ask this question. Do you know what it means for somebody to know that they can come in this church, they can be who they are, where they are at that moment, and not be looked down upon and judged? To know that they will find grace here, even though they may be darkened in their understanding, darkened in their mind, they come here, and every time they come here, they see a little bit more light. How amazing it is to know that a person can have that much confidence to come in this room. Oh, see, we judge people so much. Mm. And you know what we do? When we have attitudes like those people did in my buddy's church way back in the day, that just pushes them right out. Because nine times out of ten, even though they're too prideful to admit it, a lot of times when people come in like that, they know they're sinners. They know they're messed up. That's why they came to church. And then they look at church people, and church people act like they got it all together. And what eventually happens to that person? I can't even stay here. And so they leave and they go away. That's not the way that we've been called to do it. Listen, there's always going to be struggles in your life. Young people, let me tell you something. When you grow up, you're still going to struggle even when you get older. Older people, you agree? Okay? So listen, it's not about struggling. Struggling is okay. Some people say, I think I've done too much. I don't know if I can be forgiven. Listen, let me tell you something. If you have a heart inside of you that is still sensitive to sin and you don't want to be that way anymore and you're still striving to, for perfection, let me tell you something. You are not done with the Lord. That is the Holy Spirit inside of you that is propelling you to get better with God. Church is supposed to be a safe place, a place where you can be loved even in the midst of making mistakes. And then finally this morning, a love that breaks all the rules is a love that anticipates godly transformation. In other words, it's a love that will accept you where you are, but it's not willing to leave you where you are. It's not willing to leave you where you are. I love that verse in Matthew chapter 16, verse 23. Jesus announces that he's going to go to Jerusalem. He's going to die. And Peter pipes up and he says, whoa, 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 whoa. Hold up. No, you're not. <laughs> No, 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 no. I won't let that happen. You are not going to go to Jerusalem and die. And in that moment, he's looking through the eyes of the flesh, not the eyes of the spirit. He doesn't see the plan of God. And what does Jesus do? He turns around and he gives him a shock treatment. He says, what? Get behind me, Satan. 
And that sounds harsh. But he's trying to give him a wake-up call. He's trying to help him see, look, you're not seeing the bigger picture here. You're not seeing that this means something, what I'm about to do. You're not even seeing the fact that when I do this, it's going to benefit you like you won't even imagine. But then later on, listen to this. This is the part a lot of people really don't forget. They, they don't remember. Luke chapter 22, verses 31 through following. This is after he says those words. He comes back to Peter sometime later and he says, Oh, Peter, I've prayed for you. And Jesus says something that's very important. He says, I've prayed for you. And listen to this. And when you turn back, strengthen your brothers. You hear what Jesus is saying there? He didn't say, if you make it, if you turn back, it was a vote of confidence. It was a vote of confidence. It says, Peter, you don't get it right now. You don't understand fully right now. But when you do this thing, when you sin against me, yes, you're going to go astray. But when you come back, then you'll understand. Jesus was saying, you know what? I'm expecting a transformation in your life. I'm expecting God to change you from the inside out. And, and, and when you do this thing, and when you turn to me later, then, at that moment, then you'll understand. Jesus was saying, you know what? Peter, it's going to be okay. I accept you where you are. I've allowed you to make mistakes. But when all this is over and done, I'm expecting a transformation. And you know what? I'm going to believe. I'm going to have confidence and faith and trust in God's work in your life through the Holy Spirit that there's going to be a turnaround in your life and it's going to be for God's good. Let me ask you a question this morning. Let me ask this question to the dads in this room this morning. Let me ask this question to the moms in this room this morning, to the grandparents, to the preacher, to, that's me, isn't it? Uh, to, the, to, the, to the other preacher in this room this morning, to the deacons, to the elders. Are you vision casting in people's lives? Are you taking someone by the hand and saying, look, I get it. You're struggling right now. I know that you're going through tough times, but God has given me a vision for your life. And it's a vision of fullness of life. It's a vision of contentment. It's a vision for peace. Let me encourage you and show you the word and show you what God's vision is for your life. Because I know things are hard right now, but I certainly know what God can do. Are you doing that? Being a vision caster in people's lives. Don't you want to have that kind of radical love for people? I know I do. Or you can go back to weighing, measuring, and putting people in a box and having pride in your heart and nitpicking other people's lives while missing the work that needs to be happening in yours. Some of you may be saying this morning, you know, I need that. I need that. I need that kind of radical love in my life, and I want it this morning. In a moment, we're going to have an invitation song. There could be two things you're asking for this morning. Maybe you need to respond for prayer. Maybe you need to respond for baptism. This morning, I'm going to ask uh, the deacons. Deacons, would you, would you stand up with your wives and maybe go out to the side? If you want to, deacons, go out to the side. Elders, if you want to, go on out to the side and just be ready and willing to receive anybody who might want prayer. But do you want to experience that kind of radical love for Jesus this morning? Have you been convicted this morning? Has the Holy Spirit stirred up something inside of you because it pointed, he pointed out something in you and said, you know what, I have not been 
showing people that kind of radical love. And I need to repent of that this morning. If this invitation is for you, don't pass it up. Take it as an invitation from the Lord and from His Spirit as together we stand and sing.